What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Trumpet Summit, Season 2, Episode 8. I'm your host, John Raymond. I know at the end of the last episode with Bria Skonberg, I mentioned that we'd hear from Mike Rodriguez in this one. I faked you out. We're actually going to hear from Mike in two weeks on the next episode. But today, I'm really excited to share a conversation that I had recently with easily one of the greatest jazz trumpet players in the world, which is what we do here on this podcast. I'm talking about the incredible Sean Jones, all right? I really don't need to go into Sean's bio or resume as a sideman or band leader or, or educator. It speaks for itself, all the things that he's done over the course of his career. He's currently the president of the Jazz Education Network. He's the chair of the jazz department at the Peabody Institute in Baltimore. He does everything, and he's a monster, monster trumpet player. I've been really looking forward to talking to Sean for a long time, and we got to hang and, and get into some stuff a little bit this past January of 2022 at the Jazz Education Network Conference, where we did a Trumpet Summit panel that he jumped in on at the last minute. But we get into things a lot more in detail here, and he's going to talk about the concepts behind his daily trumpet regimen, which you're definitely going to want to make notes on. He's going to talk about developing your phrasing as an improviser, and He's going to talk about how your whole self, your personal life, your past, how it all comes out in your playing and what that means for us as artists. All right, this is a really, really good one, you guys. Here's the great Sean Jones. Yo, have you guys heard? We've got brand new Trumpet Summit t-shirts in the house, all right? I got a little excited. And I had a very limited run of tees printed specifically for this season of the podcast, featuring a rebrand of the Trumpet Summit logo done by my good friend Jamie Brevik at B-Side Graphics. The design is killing. The t-shirts are super comfy. And, you know, there aren't any sponsors for this podcast. So if you're into it and you want to support what's going on and get something cool out of it, this is a great way to do so. So you can get one by going to my website, john-raymond.com slash store. And you can find the Trumpet Summit tees there, sizes small, all the way to double X. And it'd be a great way for you to support what's going on. Another way you can support the podcast is by picking up a PDF or a hard copy of my book, The Jazz Trumpet Routine, which is essentially a fundamentals book geared towards creative improvisers, Okay. It's designed to help you rethink how to go about practicing and approaching fundamentals from the perspective of a jazz trumpet player. It's designed for players of all ages, all ability levels, and the best part is that it comes with call and response style play along recordings for every single exercise. So grab a tea or pick up a copy of the book. Thank you for helping make this podcast happen. I really appreciate it. So I wanted to pull a uh, a page out of your book back from the uh, Trumpet Summit at the Gen Conference where you gave the anti-answer. I gave a lot of those. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you maybe an anti-question. Okay. To start. I'm up for um, it. So, you know, I was just trying to think. Yeah, I'm sure you've done hundreds of interviews, you know podcast episodes especially past couple of years zoom things and all that um i'm curious like what what's one thing 
maybe trumpet related or or jazz related what's what's one thing that doesn't really come up in any of the interviews that you do oh that you feel like should come up or isn't talked about enough or anything like that you know it's it's kind of hard to say what doesn't come up because i would have to think and sort of by process of elimination, eliminate all of the things that have come up in order to prompt that one thing that doesn't. But I will say the one thing that is not talked about enough is how you bring your whole self to whatever whatever situation you're going into. And this is something that I'm dealing with heavily right now in my own personal life, man. It's like we as artists have the unique ability, especially now in this world where everything is <clears throat> posted on Instagram and, and Facebook and all that, you can project an image of yourself and still have this other side of yourself that you're living for, for some reason that nobody knows. But I now believe, and I've always believed this in some respect, that you, your whole self is, is going to come out in your artistry. Your successes, your failures, your vulnerability, your power, all of that comes out. Now, the thing, the thing about it is when we're talking about the arts, it's, it's left up to the interpretation of the individual, right? So it's going to be up to the person that's consuming your art to, to, figure, to, to sort of gauge what part of you they want to accept in that moment. Mm. but whatever you put out there is going to be your whole self. So I think that what I'm now trying to deal with is, is, is myself internally, you know, prof used to tell me something, man, that I thought meant one thing, but now I think it means something else. Prof used to say to us all the time that the trumpet is the mirror of the mind. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually, Eddie Henderson, in one of the recent conversations I had with him for this podcast, said the exact same quote. Yeah. So it's come up multiple times now. But anyways, continue. It's the mirror of the mind. And so for a while, I thought that that meant, oh, whatever you, uh, whatever you think or hear is what's going to come out of the instrument. And if it's not inside of you, it's not going to come out. Well, I, I no longer just think about that. I think about, was I angry today? Did I deal with my past trauma? Hmm. Did I hurt somebody 10 years ago? Is my ego being present in this moment? Do I need to deal with that? All of that comes out when you're playing. Because you can't pick and choose when that stuff is going to rear its ugly head if you don't deal with it. Mm. You know, let me rephrase that. You can pick and choose. You can allow, you can, you can choose how it's going to affect you and how, how, how it's going to act. But if you leave that stuff unchecked, it's going to come out, man, like weeds. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you have, in order to tend to a garden, you got to deal with the weeds too. And I think sometimes we don't deal with the source of the weeds and those things come up in our, in our artistry 
and and they kind of can come out as poison sometimes if some if the if the uh if the consumer when i say the consumer the the listener in our case perhaps they're going through something similar or they're affected by that viscerally mm-hmm. and that kind of leads me to this broader point which is that it's all energy we are literally all energy fields man and so i think that if we all want to heal this the state that humanity is in right now, then we have to start with healing ourselves first so that the the music that we that we play and we create comes out in a way that provides healing and evolution for humanity. And maybe dozens of years down the road or you know we'll see fewer conflicts. Hmm. We'll see fewer uh scenarios where there's these gaps in our humanity the haves and the have-nots the misunderstandings between races cultures and religions and all of that man i no longer look at the trumpet as just this thing where i'm playing some notes and i'm trying to get better at it every time i play it now i'm trying to affect humanity in a positive way Mm. And perhaps that's just because I'm looking at my own demons now in my own life. And I don't want to pass that down to the next generations, man. I just don't. So that's, that's where I am. I mean, I'm sure also as a parent, you, you see those things in a different light because of that in and of itself, you know, big time. And being a parent, at this age, I'm 40, I'm 43 years old, man. I'm, I'm, I'm on the slow train to parenthood. You know, most people, <laughs> most people got to do it earlier on, but there are folks like my, my man, T staff, Terrell Stafford, and yeah. Greg Hopkins, man, you know, we waited a little bit. I think Greg might've had some kids early on in life, but now he has another one. Marcus Belgrade had a couple of kids later on in life. I'm sure it gives you a different perspective. And that's, I, you know, I don't know what it's like to have a child at the age 20, 25, 30. These are my first kids. And um, when you, when you, when you look at kids, man, there's a blank slate there. There's, I mean, they are literally a blank slate. They don't know what's good or bad. They have an inkling, you know, but they go with their natural in- instinct, man. And, Looking at Phoebe every day. I mean, I had the opportunity to look at her every day during the pandemic. And I tell you right now, man, she's just operating off of gut. Right. I wish I could do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you you learn, you know, so you you're taught right and wrong from the varying perspectives of the folks that help you curate your life and are curating your life for you. And for better or worse, that sets you on a path. Hmm. And um, dealing with my own upbringing, there was a lot of trauma that was left unchecked. A lot of it, man. Abuse, you know, all kind of stuff, man. That in my community was just basically like par for the course. It was deemed as normal. But it wasn't normal. And, you know, honestly, the trumpet, man, became an escape. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I love playing the trumpet now, but when I first started playing it, it was, I didn't give a, <laughs> I did, it was not about trying to be the best trumpet player. It was about trying to be the best trumpet player so I could escape my current condition. Mm. 
That's what it was about. Mm-hmm. I love music. Yeah, but I love music because it was an escape, if I'm being honest about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that more people have that. I have more have that in common with more people than sometimes we we realize. Yeah, totally. You know? I feel like I talk to a lot of young musicians who when you kind of start to peel back the layers, it's it's that. Like that's the reason why they play is escaping something. Or or maybe if it's not even escaping something, it's like running to this thing that's like they get to live in this imaginary world that's just like their their playground. They can they can do whatever they want or something, you know. Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing about music, right? But the one thing that music can do, can, one other thing that music cannot do is erase mm. the past. It cannot do that. It can help you deal with it and cope, yes, and thank God for it, right? Yeah. Or the universe or whatever you call that higher power or not call it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But music can't erase it. That's up to us. That's our work, right? Mm. And so if we want to get rid of a lot of the trauma and the dysfunction in the human spirit, we have to be willing to do the work and not act as if music as is as a source of complete healing in terms of the erasure of your problems. It does not erase them. Mm. It helps you deal with them. Mm. The same way that Tylenol does not, or, uh, or, you know, NyQuil doesn't get rid of your cold. <laughs> it right. helps you deal with it. It just helps you. Exactly. Yeah, it just helps you deal with it. But it's up to us to deal with that other side, man. And I'm so glad that we're starting to have people that have the courage to be able to acknowledge this. You know, how many how many more artists do we need to go down the paths of alcoholism and and drug addiction and addictions to sex and and food and and destructive behavior, including myself, you know, going down those paths mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and per- potentially die at an early age or live an unfulfilled life because music is has been called the escape. It's not fair to the music. Mm. If we want to make music that's going to be on a higher a higher plane of the, uh, you know. And and maybe this is just maybe this is me being, I don't know, a little too uh, wishful thinking. All of these, I don't know if any of these things will disappear, but we can try, right? Mm, yeah. Well, I wanted to go back for a second because, you know, I've had plenty of students. I mean, even me myself, as I've listened to your records over the years, I've heard you play. There has been a certain amount of healing, I think, that comes through, if I'm going to just use that word, uh, that's come through your playing, that's come through your music. There's a certain amount of spirit that people sense. I'm sure you know that. You can feel I'm sure you've had people come up to you after gigs and tell you that. Um, so, it, you know, even though I think we're all wrestling with our, our stuff and we all have stuff, What's amazing to me is even in light of that, there are these beautiful things that come out of something that's like broken, you know, or something that is uh we're not completely whole or, you know, 
all together or however you want to put it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And we are living in a balance right now, you know, and we are all a balance. And I appreciate you saying that because I do try to present healing, you know, in a lot of the music that I play. But at the same time, if I want to get better, I have to acknowledge the arrogance in some of it, Hmm. you know, overwritten songs, (laughs) songs (laughs) that are complex for for no reason other than to make them complex to be a challenge. Hmm. You know, I got to recognize that, too. Well, I'm both, you know, and sometimes sometimes we... (laughs) So sometimes we 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 allow ourselves to be this dichotomy, right? We say, "Well, I'm not all peaches and cream all the time," but you know what? You can work on yourself too. Mm-hmm. Like you really can, man. Like it, it, I no longer want to accept that for me. Mm-hmm. That I'm I'm going to be this dual just this duality and just say some of my music is about healing, but some of it is also this, you know, even if it is challenging, I want it to be challenging from a place of purity, not mm-hmm. from a place of ego. Or like- or like I'm gonna play this high note because I can. But if but but hopefully the high note is there because I was trying to get to some. I was trying to paint this color and not just do it as an acrobatic exercise. You know, I worked really hard on this thing, man. Yeah, man. I mean, it shows. (laughs) (laughs) I worked really hard on this thing and I don't ever want to play music anymore to just play it because look what I could learn how to do. I want a high F sharp or a high F or whatever it is to be about a color and a picture versus just simply my, my need to show that I can do it. Mm-hmm. And that was there. And I'm acknowledging that sometimes. And I think that, you know, no matter who you are, that stuff comes out because yeah. it's hard to do on the trumpet, man. Yeah, <laughs> It's hard to play high F. And so sometimes you just want to do it just because you can. Right. But you know, Somebody told me one day, they said, just because you can doesn't mean you should. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Anyway. Yeah, man. Okay, so I got a question about some routine, a couple questions about some routine stuff. I know this has been a big thing for you that you've talked about over a lot of years. Your routine, outlining that, uh, how important a routine is, etc. Um. One question I've kind of always wanted to ask you has been, as you go about doing the things you're doing, is there anything particular that you are trying to focus on, like conceptually, or like what are, what are your goals in doing long tones? What are your goals in doing Clark studies? I, I'm curious just to get more inside your mind as you are doing them as you're going about approaching them, because I feel like that's equally as a part of the process as, as it is what you do, you know, foundation and balance is as you were speaking, I kept hearing the words foundation and balance foundation for me is tone resonance. How is my sound being uh, projected and received in the room? 
So I'm constantly trying to make the whole horn vibrate, right? So, so I start with those mouthpiece buzzing things. There's air there. Hopefully when you heard the second version of that uh, mouthpiece buzz, there was no air. Try to get absolute buzz on this mouthpiece so that I can get absolute resonance on the instrument so that people can feel that vibration when I'm playing. Now, everything else, the fingers with that, um, the tongue, you know, uh, various levels of technique, I'm trying to find the balance inside of that foundation. So I never forget about the foundation and the flow of the air in order to, to resonate and project my sound in the room. But I'm also working to achieve balance with all of those other things. As the tongue position moves with the fingers and the airstream and all of that, is it disrupting or projecting the sound that I want it to have? For instance, playing long tones or flow studies, like Vincent Chicken with flow studies. Mm -hmm. No. That's clear. Now, when I put fingers to that flow or a long tone or flow studies, am I still flowing? Does the, is the sound disrupted? Right? When I put So slurs with fingers. Is, is the sound still clear, right? Is it still clear in all registers? Right? All registers of the horn, fingers, flow, that you're still using the tongue level there. So in order to go from low C to high C, you got to use the tongue. Is all of that in balance in such a way that it's not disrupting my airflow and the resonance? Foundation and balance, right? Up, mm. uh, Right? So mm. foundation is still there. Those basic principles are things that as I get older, man, I'm just trying to create more of a foundation of them. Hmm. And now I understand what Doc told me one time, man. Doc Severson. He told I said, Doc, how much do you practice now, man? You're like, at the time he was in his 80s. Oh, Sean, I practice now more than ever. <laughs> I'm like, really? Marvin Stamp, same thing, man. This cat runs five miles a day. Wow. Marvin Stamp. Wow. And and that made me realize like how serious they are about their on longevity and how they are they have that level of longevity because they're consistent and they focus on the basics now more than ever. More than ever. Hmm. Foundation and balance. That's good. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Um, do you vary 
what you do or how you do it, depending on the day. I, I was trying to remember if I've heard you talk about this, but I can't, I couldn't remember. I may vary the exercise, but I'd never vary the purpose. Mm. The purpose remains, right? Foundation and balance. So I mentioned long tones and flow studies, right? They are in essence there to achieve the same thing. So I'll do this long tone, like the spider, you know, they call it, you know, and I'm forcing myself to deal with the sound, the found foundation, resonance and flow, adding the finger to the flow. So maybe one day I'll do Clark exercises. I'll do Clark two. And then maybe the next day I'll do Clark two, uh, Clark three or Clark seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or I'll do some type of uh, other type of finger busters. Etienne Charles has some pretty amazing finger busters out. Oh, yeah. Oh man, you should talk to them, talk to him about those like really killer. Oh, okay. When I'm doing um uh what is it like tongue slurs? I call them tongue slurs. I don't like to call them lip slurs. I heard you say that once. Yeah, well, your lips aren't creating the slur. You know, I, I'm a firm mm-hmm. believer that you know what you say prompts the body. Sure, yeah. So if you say lip slurs you're going to subconsciously activate your lips to try to create a slur but if you take say tongue slurs you're going to subconsciously uh, uh activate and consciously activate the tongue to make the uh, make that balance with the airstream so i'll do those I'll, i like to do page 44 in our Armas book but i also like to do scott bilks uh, mm-hmm. uh slurs modern flexibilities for brass those are really cool and I like to do the violin studies. The same thing with tonguing. There's a book on everything, man. Yeah, yeah. It's like food. How many how many different books are there about like making a marinara sauce? But at the end of the day, the goal, no matter what the book is, is to get to a good marinara sauce. You got to have it taste good. So. <laughs> Basic fundamentals, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in order to keep yourself from getting bored, you know, you could... You could vary those exercises, mm. but you should never vary your concept. I'm curious, like, what about days for you where you're coming off, you know, two or three long sets, you've like really gone all the way in there. Mm. You wake up the next morning. Okay, here we go. I'm going to do the routine. Do you, do you, uh, approach it any differently because of that or how you are feeling that morning for a time i did not like in my development phases i did Hmm. now i do like like today i had a i had foot what what did we play we we did two really long sets last night the gig was from six six fifteen to like nine forty five and there was some pretty heavy playing. Um, today, you know, I just got up, felt a little puffiness, and I just eased into it. And I probably won't do anything else for the rest of the day, hmm. just so that I could, you know, heal. Um, I think that when you're in your development phases, and that's typically when you're younger, your body can rebound a lot faster. Hmm. So I at this moment in time feel that um it's you should be as consistent as you possibly can from day to day so even if you have a heavy gig you know wake up you know 
hopefully on that heavy gig, you aren't like pounding beers and drinking all kind of, you know, toxic things, which is what I did at when I was younger. I wish I didn't do that because my body could have recovered a lot faster the next day. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to wave the banner of don't do, you know, I'm not one of those people, man. It just goes to show, though, that all those other things like you were talking about, they feed into. They affect them. Yeah, the music, you're going you know? to be dehydrated when you drink a lot of alcohol, man. I was dehydrated. <laughs> you yeah. know, you feel like crap the next day. And that's just what it is. So if you're going to do that the next day, drink a lot of water. You know, mm-hmm. drink a ton of water, ease into it, take care of your body. This is the only one you got. Only one you got. Yeah. You know, try not to pound your face, you know, play to play the beginning, play the gig. Always play the beginning with the ending in mind. You got four sets on a gig. That first set, Take <laughs> you know, don't, don't be trying to go for, go for everything, man. You know? Yeah. Age it. Just, just be, be smart about it. But I will yeah. say, man, like hydration, drink a lot of water. Like if you got a heavy gig, drink a lot of water. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, another thing I wanted to ask you about with regards to trumpet playing was, I don't think it's any secret that you've developed, a, you know, an incredible amount of facility on the instrument, precision on the instrument. I'm curious, like, what is one thing that you feel like limits other trumpet players when it comes to this? Uh, like, is there something that comes to mind right away? <laughs> I think that people tend to avoid that level of focus on the fundamentals because they they aren't patient enough they they they're and they're lacking the patience because they want to get to the musical product faster right especially now we're we're dealing with technology and everybody wants to project what they're doing faster um but it's really important so you might hear the baby man it's all good um yeah. It's the equivalent of like a, a police siren in New York, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's all right. Nice to, I'm nice. I'm happy to provide a different uh oh you're good, man. Different sound. But I will say, man, that some people they they want to put the cart before the horse and they want to get their musical ideas out before they really focus on their technique. And then they put those musical ideas out and they aren't polished. Right. Like the, the trumpet sound is off or, you know, they're they're struggling with it, with getting certain things out. So that may prompt a level of frustration. But uh, but, you know, nowadays, man, so many things are accepted <laughs> as being like unpolished because it's like, oh, well, this is what I'm feeling mm. or except, you know, I, I was just telling somebody the, the other day, man, like. A quarter note equals 220 does not care who you are. A high F does not care who you are. It doesn't care what religion you are. It doesn't care what race you are. It doesn't care what gender you are. A high F is a high F. So (laughs) we got to face that reality. 
And I think we now live in this world, man, where it's like people want to say that they, you know, they belong because they are. Yes, you 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 belong. You you what 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 you deserve is the opportunity. Everybody deserves the opportunity. But whether or not you belong depends on the music. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. The music will tell you whether or not you're there or not. You know, everybody mm-hmm. belong. Everybody deserves to to get through the door, but the music tells you or not whether you de- deserve a seat at the table. The music does, mm-hmm. and I think that that is something that we are going to be grappling with for the next several years. Hmm. Where is that balance? And you're talking to somebody, man, that I've worked my butt off to try my best to make sure that everybody has the same opportunities. You know, with the NYO program that I weren't run out of Carnegie Hall, we hmm. actively go out to make sure that things are, are, are there and accessible for everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. But when it's time to play, <laughs> I don't care what you are or who you are. It has to sound right, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. if it's not cutting it based on the the standards that have been upheld by all of our masters, black, white, you know, whatever gender, whatever, you know, there are standard bearers that are out there. And if it doesn't reach that standard then i'm like "Mm." (laughs) yeah so so it's me it's like finding that balance and i and i think that that is why people a a lot of that is why people want to avoid this level of rigor with technical proficiency man masking exactly the thing yeah it's hard to do this man it's hard to do this it's hard to look everybody they is serious enough about the trumpet can do this. Everybody that's serious enough can do that. The problem is that some people say, well, you know, everybody doesn't have to do that. You're absolutely right. Everybody does not have to do that. But don't think that, you know, like it's okay for you to take a gig and you can't do that, that requires that that you're supposed to still get called back. <laughs> no. Right. Just, be- <laughs> just because of who you are or whatever. Exactly. That's the line, man. That is the line right there. And I'm sorry. And I'm not sorry. No. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like no. somebody has to stand up and say, look, exactly what I just said. You know, mm-hmm. everybody deserves an opportunity. Everyone deserves an opportunity. That's the inclusive part. That's the inclusive part. Yeah. The music itself determines whether you belong. Dig that. Um, okay, one other trumpet question that I had. Um, so I guess I'm curious, like, how over the years you have worked on or developed the ability to just kind of maintain control 
precision, execution, when the intensity is high, when the volume is up, when the set goes on. I mean, because a lot of I, trial and error, man. Yeah. Okay. That's. I was hoping you'd say that because then you're proving you're human, which I know you are, anyway. But you, you know what I mean. Oh, bro, I, I have caved many times, many times, mm-hmm. and I think that. The one thing that's good about technology now is there's a lot of those moments being captured. You know, you, 20 years ago, you could curate what you got, what got out there a little bit easier. Now, everybody's got a phone. <laughs> everybody's got a phone, man. You know, everybody caves, man. I, I love hearing Winton talk about the story when he caved on the, the Hummel, man. I think he was in Boston. You know what I mean? And he caved. But the, the 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 point is to make sure that you know one out of ten times is is all it is and not nine out of ten times you know nine out of ten times you're cool and you achieve it you know your humanity comes in that one time you know mm-hmm. what I mean and um that's that's the whole notion of it now how do you get to that point? Again, going back to that statement, trial and error, you have to figure out the vehicle. And what is the vehicle? It's your body, your face, your lips, your air, all of that. Your mental ability to be able to handle how your body feels, too. Mm-hmm. No one that you want to talk about something that people don't talk about. That is something that people don't talk about. Because your mind has to be able to handle how your body feels. Mm, And not be overwhelmed. And not be overwhelmed by it. Sure. You see what I'm saying, John? So there are, I have students to come in sometimes and they say, oh man, this is, this is, this doesn't feel right. And I asked them this question. I said, are you uncomfortable or are you in pain? More times than not, they say that they're uncomfortable. And I said, well, this is uncomfortable. If you're in pain, then no, you're doing the wrong thing. You should not be in pain doing this. Mm. But if you've never played a high F sharp and you think it's going to feel like cotton candy on your mouth and like a pillow when you sit down for the first time, you're lying to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? You have to get used to making uncomfortable things comfortable. That's what athletes do. We are athletes with music, right? There's a certain level of athleticism that goes into what we're doing. We're training our bodies. Mm. If your body already knew how to do it, you wouldn't need to train it, Mm. right? You know, I've had an experience where, you know, I'll play at some club and then I'll come back, you know, six months or a year later and I'll play again. And somebody came up to me and said, man, your upper register sounds really good, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, like, to me, it's, you know, I always had the same facility. I always had the capacity to do it. But I, to, to your point, what I was thinking of in my head as they were saying that was like, well, I think I could just handle it more here in my mind. You know, I know, I know how to deal with that now instead of like letting it get to me and just like wreck me or something, man. And that is the hardest thing to teach, man. Oh my God. Is that the hardest thing to teach? 
because we're dealing with, especially in college, man, you're dealing with folks that come in as 18 year olds, right? And then they, between the ages of 18 and 22, like the amount of emotional development that happens or or digression (laughs) that happens around that time is like astounding, man. And so it's like, you're giving them exercises, you're giving them this, 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 and this, but you're also helping them to be able to manage that change in their mind. And sometimes you get it right. And sometimes you don't, sometimes it creates bad feelings and sometimes it prompts people to have light bulb moments, man. Right. And believe it or not, I've been doing this for over 20 years teaching it's hard to believe sometimes i'm like looking up in 20 years has gone by man wow while being in higher academia full time it's been 20 years wow and um each year i learn a little bit more man and i discover that that mental piece is more and more significant than it ever was because the exercises are undoubtedly pretty similar no matter what school you go to but the curation is different Mm. right so how do i get trumpet players to look at that high f sharp and realize that it's not going to be cozy it's not going to be comfortable but if you keep going after it you will be able to do it and fortunately now i have a few stories of of young folks that were not able to do these things and now are able to. One, Arnetta Johnson, mm. I was, she was one of my students at Berkeley. You know, there was some resistance there, but she's killing the game now. Mm. You got Benny Banak, who could barely play a high C when, when, we've, when we took lessons when he was in high school. Now he's playing just as high, if not higher than I am. John Michael Bradford. Same thing down there in New Orleans, man, killing it with my mm-hmm. man Ashley, mm-hmm. right? Dumpster Funk and uh, what is it, uh, Trumpet Mafia, mm-hmm. killing it. They had to believe that they could do it, number one, and then they had to allow themselves to be uncomfortable for a time, not in pain, right? But uncomfortable for a time, right? Development is not a cozy thing, man. Physical yeah. or mental. And at the end of the day, I guess you either, you know, you commit, you devote yourself to it, you see the process through, or you don't, you know. That's that and that's all to it. That's that's literally all to it. And it's not for everyone. That's the other thing that's difficult about the job that I have in higher academia is some folks think they want it. <laughs> and early on, I'm like, look, I'm being the bad guy now because I don't want you to get <laughs> severely disappointed when you get out of this school. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to go through this if you're not serious. I'm telling you, you know, I, t- I tell students now more than ever. I'm like, look, this is hard. And everybody doesn't, quote, unquote, make it. And what does making it mean? Making it means being able to graduate and perform and execute the music that you want to do, that you want to, 
while maintaining some level of sustenance for yourself in society. To me, that's what making it means. Mm. That does not mean that you got a record contract. It does not mean that you, you end up playing with the Jazz and Lincoln Center Orchestra or some other big gig or, you know, maybe Beyonce. Take. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. It means that you graduate and upon graduation, you are able to sustain your life playing most, most of the time the music that you care to, to, to play. To me, that's what making it mean. Mm. Notice, I, notice I said most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes oh, yeah. you're going to play some stuff that's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But even with wedding bands, like, man, I, I used to play a lot of wedding bands. I used to tell myself, oh, man. But I was playing with some wedding bands that were killing. Yeah, man. Same here. Like super ridiculously killing. And I would rather play with those wedding bands than to play with a jazz band that's sad any day. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Man, I played in this wedding band the horn section was Troy Roberts and me mm. and man, it was like, you know, from the get go, we had this like telepathic connection where like, you know, we'd be going to play some line. We both play the same thing. Annie would harmonize it instantly. You know, <laughs> it's like, I don't know where I don't a know good time. that became this thing where it's like, it's bad to play a wedding. I don't, I don't know where that became this bad thing. You're making people happy. You know what I mean? You're making pretty good money. Usually. Mm -hmm. you know what i mean you get breaks you get to look good you make a bit you know and you're working on your stuff is it the highest artistic thing maybe maybe not you know mm -hmm. but i don't know man it's a, I, I don't understand why it became this this thing that's so oh man i'm playing wedding band man i Man, when I was in grad school, I was making sometimes like two grand a weekend. Yeah, right. You know, like those Jersey Shore wedding bands, man. Mm -hmm. was, like it, there was two months in the summertime. It was like, whoa, I'm doing real well. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like this can pay for a lot of things, you know. But you can, man. So when you're making music, you're making people happy. You're You're developing on your instrument. What's wrong with that? Yeah. I'm down with that. We, we have to do a better job as educators, letting people know what their purpose is as, as musicians. And it's not in one singular lane. I want to ask you a question about your phrasing. Mm. Um, to me, I don't really hear much extraneous stuff in your phrasing that and and i mean that as the best possible compliment you know it, it feels like the the fat has been trimmed to me you say what you need to say and there's no like extra stuff that's just like flippant or something um i guess i'm wondering like has it always been this way for you uh <laughs> oh man you, you can listen to the records and tell that Mm. I'm listening to my first couple of records. It's a lot of bullshit in there. I mean, I'm being honest about it. You know, there's stuff that I'm like, I, I listen back and I'm like, oh, why did I play that? Yeah. So I guess that's what I'm wondering. Like, how did you work on it consciously in any specific way? Or was it just a matter of trial and error? Like, you do it, you hear it back, and then you listen to it and you say, that sucks. Okay. I got to change that. 
Man, there is nothing like a good document. Nothing like recording yourself to be to be on. It's it's a it's a mirror, man. Anytime you record, you become a mirror. And I think that I was fortunate enough early on to be provided with uh, with a lot of mirrors. And I had no idea. I mean, I, man, I'm a country boy, man. I'm, I'm from Warren, Ohio. A lot of this stuff, I had no clue, literally no clue. Like when people, it, it cracks me up sometimes when I hear some some young folks, man, thinking that when they go to school, that the school is just supposed to give them all the answers. <laughs> it, it just makes me laugh, man. Cause I'm like, look, when I went to school, I, I would have to say that I probably got 30% of what I needed to know from school. Mm. The other 70% was literal trial and error. Mm. Just going out in there and screwing up and figuring it out. You know, there is no formula for this. I think to answer your question directly, man, it was recording my own albums. It was writing. Um, It was performing with different people and listening to those things back and, and being honest with myself. Like, do I like hearing that? Do I like hearing with hearing myself? When, I, I like when Winton tells me that we, he used to go over or he used to hear people talk about, um, he didn't go over there, but he used to hear people talk about going over Louis Armstrong's house and he'd be listening to himself. Hmm. <laughs> Which, you know, if, if you think about it, well, some people could take that to, to think like, oh, well, Pops was, he was airing and he thought he was the only one. No, I think Louis Armstrong was like listening to himself to edit. Hmm. Like, oh, I like that. I don't like that. And I, I would do that sometimes, man. Like I would listen back to certain records that I played on. I'm like, oh, I like that. I don't like that. The other thing is allowing the phrase to be enough to provide space for that phrase to be um, consumed. I think a lot of times the reason that we, we feel like we need to fill all of the space up when we're playing is because we don't feel that our idea was enough. So we try to fix it with the next idea. Hmm. It just becomes crowded, 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 crowded space. It's, I think it's, it's, it's less about leaving space and more about the validity of what you actually do play. Hmm. I hear that. So if I play an idea... And I didn't like it. I'm going to immediately try to play, like, say something else. We do it in conversation all the time, right? The reason that we keep talking is because we don't think that we're getting our point across. <laughs> <laughs> and then it gets worse and worse, you know? Exactly. So it's like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And they da, 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 da. know what I'm saying? Da, 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 da. And then, uh, well, really, all we have to say is just like, hey, man, this is how I'm feeling. See? Right. Let that sit. Space. That, that's it. Hmm. But it, it takes a while, man. It takes a while. So, yes, trial and error, um, listening back to myself, being comfortable with my own ideas. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, it is enjoying the space. But I think, you know, a lot of the stuff that we say now, 
it's become cliche. Like one of the things that I can't stand hearing anymore is like, oh, you got to tell a story. Like I'm tired of hearing that. Like what, is that, what does that mean? What does it mean? Tell a story. It's so vague. Like it's become so cliche. Mm. Right. To me, what that means is like, if I'm an educator, that means like, let's talk about what narrative we want to express with the tools that we have, with the information that we have, the language that we have. Right. You got, let's, let's do that in five courses. What are you going to express with the information that you have without it being cluttered in these five courses of time? We got to unpack all of these cliches now. Mm. Like another one is leave space. Oh, man, you got to leave space. But what does that mean? Does right. that mean not play? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what that means is Play your ideas and leave some room for your thought or your, your mind to think about the ex next idea that you want to play. Mm. Right. Mm. Unpacking the cliches is, is what I want to do. I don't, maybe I shouldn't say, or I don't want to say that I'm sick of those things. I just, I just think that they're tossed off now. Like this is something cool to say because I've heard some of the masters say it. Sure. Yeah. They got to be defined a little more. We have to unpack these things. Yes. Yeah. No, I hear you. So a question then maybe to build off of this is, um, one thing I feel like you're inherently talking about in this conversation is like kind of honing in on your voice, you know, like what you want to say, the melodies that you play that only you can play. That's you. Um, so have there been, you know, certain things besides what you've already mentioned that have really helped you with that? The biggest thing is honesty. And I'm being, you know, I'm trying my best to be more honest as times as the time go on. What I mean by that is I'm not Clifford Brown. When I try, when I play Clifford Brown, I'm not being authentically myself. When I'm, when I'm playing Freddie Hubbard, I'm not being authentically myself. Now, do we come out of those people? Yes, we learn their language. We learn what they're, what they're doing, but we should practice it in such a way that we create our own way of playing, right? Hmm. Like I love Woody Shaw, but a lot of times some Woody Shaw-esque material comes out of my playing, but I'm not trying to play exactly what Woody Shaw played in. I'm trying to play it in my way. And I think the best way to do that is to write, write your own tunes. That has sort of become a cliche too. You want to learn how to be a better improviser? Write your own tunes. Well, what does that mean? Write your own tunes. Who are you? Like, what do you hear? Do you hear straight ahead jazz? Do you hear stuff that's like more on the hip hop uh, side of things? Do you hear bluegrass? You know, do you hear klezmer? Write that kind of stuff. And be unapologetic about it, because mm -hmm. the reality is somebody's gonna something somebody's gonna hate it. So, some people aren't gonna like it, and some people are gonna like it. But it should exist if you hear it, mm. if you're honestly hearing it. So that kind of thing, right? And then once you become confident enough in putting that out there, then you don't need to feel you don't feel obligated to fill the space up with it all the time because you're like, I need to be heard. 
Mm. <laughs> yeah. Something I've thought a lot about with this conversation has been, to me, I don't know if you can like shortcut this honesty process. You know, like you, you can't really quote unquote, be honest with yourself unless you go through trying to play like Clifford Brown or trying to play like Woody Shaw, do the homework, you go through it, you, you, you try it in musical situations, you know, um, you got to come from somewhere. Right. I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. You got to come from somewhere. You got to have a foundation, right? No one is just here without coming from somewhere. So the question is, then becomes like, what is your foundation and how do you come out of that foundation? Mm, that's good. And you can't be Clifford Brown because Clifford Brown lived his life, but Clifford Brown also didn't live your life. You're hearing things that Clifford Brown never heard. So the foundation is then ornamented, right? This is where branches branch off. And go in other directions. Mm -hmm. I think one of the uh, one of the perfect examples of this is like Ambrose what, on his recording of What's New. You know, I love hearing him play on that because he's got like one foot in the tradition and then another foot in the future. It was like, I mean, it's it's the perfect recording, man. Yeah, I tell all my students, I'm like, if you want to know what it what it sounds like to hear somebody honor the tradition while being themselves, listen to Ambrose play on what's new. It's like, it's perfect. Hmm. And I'm not sure how intentional he was about that, but it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sure. perfect example of, it. and I think we all got to do that. And that requires honesty and no, you can't shortcut that process. Hmm. You can't. Is there one, um, well, I'm sure there are many, but it, what what is one solo or thing that you transcribed that you feel like has made a significant impact on your foundation? Um, and and how did it do that? There there are many things, I'm sure, but what what's one that comes to mind? Clifford Brown, Kiss and Run. Hmm. That's from the uh, Sonny Rollins Plus Four. Yeah. Yeah. Like to me. That solo, if, if there was any solo that reflected what I wanted to be as a trumpet player, it's that one. Mm -hmm. One, you got like a lot of facility in it, right? I'm a trumpet player's trumpet player. Like I like playing the instrument and doing all of the, the trickery and all of that stuff. But I don't want it to get in the way of the music. Because when you hear that recording, it's beautiful music being played, right? So you listen to him, he's doing all of the, the flashy technical stuff, but the lines are perfect. Also, there's no fat in it. Mm. Like every line is kind of killing. Also, there's some imperfections in there. And then he fixes them in the moment. You know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful solo, man. I, that, that's the one that kind of showed me like what what's possible and, and what I wanted to sound like as, as a trumpet player. Hmm. Hmm. That's cool. Um, do you have any other people that are, you would consider like a big influence on your playing that might not be immediately 
seen on the surface or that you you talk about very much? Yeah, Phil Smith. Hmm. Huge influence on my sound. Maurice Andre, huge influence on my sound. Hakan Hardenberger, huge influence on my sound. Spe- specifically, hmm. a record called At the Beach. Hmm. Yeah. Man. That's incredible. <laughs> oh, man, it's so ridiculous. Him, him as a player. Um, Donald Byrd's stuff from the from the uh, 70s. Yeah, that's some really or late sixties, early seventies. That's some like some really deep stuff for me. Mm-hmm. Gospel singers. Well, that's probably kind of obvious. You know, um, that kind of thing. The thing that may not be so obvious is right back here, you see a lot mm-hmm. of blues singers are up in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I listen to a lot of blues all the time. If there was one, th- if somebody told me, Sean, you're only allowed to play one thing and play it for the rest of your life, it would be a slow blues, like right here. And I would just try to sound like John Lee Hooker and mm. Holland Wolf. And that, that would probably sustain me for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay. Last question. Um, So I've heard you say that when you started playing, you kind of fell in love with, among other things, the challenge of the instrument, like the challenge of learning to play and, and the challenge of doing these things that, you know, you didn't even realize were difficult at the time, maybe, but you just, you shot for the moon, you know? So I guess I'm curious for you um, now besides what you mentioned at the top, like what are some, maybe some musical challenges that you feel like you're really in love with now? What, what do you, what's kind of fueling you as you continue on here the next few years? Yeah. Now it's like writing for large ensembles. That's my big next big hurdle. I'm talking about like Hmm. big bands, Hmm. um, orchestras that are like the Metropole orchestra, Things like that. That's that's where I'm headed next. And um, also records and, and, and albums that have more of a connection to other pieces of art, um, like f- uh, physical pieces of art, um, working with dancers. My wife's a tap dancer. Yeah. Uh, so we have this Dizzy Spells project that we're working on. It's just a continuing project. <clears throat> and, and really dealing with those things and really staying inside of institutions like this it's not necessarily linked to the trumpet but staying inside of institutions to make sure that there's systemic change is happening hmm. so that it's easier for people to go to school to learn how to do what they want to do without it uh breaking their bank or putting them in uh, financial uh, uh trouble Hmm. so that's the next step for me man hmm. i actually wrote my obituary man it sounds crazy but like you mentioned doing difficult things like i really feel like my life has been uniquely designed for that and my obituary says this it says the call on my life has been to do the hard things the hard things with pain nothing making sense and with grit most of all in the spirit of love connected to the eternal consciousness 
that gives me the fight to endure and enjoy it all. Hmm. So that's what I want my life legacy to be, to literally go into spaces where nobody else wants to go into and fight like hell so that other people don't have to later. Woo, man. Sean getting all the way in there. I'm going real deep. I, I knew it would be that way, and I'm so thankful it was. Sean, you're the man. Uh, I really appreciate and respect just how vulnerable you are and how much of yourself you're willing to share with everybody around you. It's such a gift, and uh, I learned a lot from that conversation. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. Okay, next episode, I promise, we will hear from the incredible Mike Rodriguez. You don't want to miss that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and you'll get that episode as soon as it comes out two weeks from now. Special thanks again to Tom Piechek for editing the audio for this interview. The music that you're hearing is a song of mine called North, which I recorded with the IU Jazz Studies faculty, and it's out on all streaming platforms now, so go check it out. Thanks again for checking out the Trumpet Summit. We'll see you in a couple weeks.